allow me to read a prayer, um, an adaptation of Psalm 51. And if it helps, you can just close your eyes and continue a heart of prayer and listen to these words. This prayer reads, Have mercy upon us, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercies. Blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. For we know our transgressions and our sin is ever before us. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and uphold us with a willing spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Psalm 103, 8-12. Listen to these words as a guarantee and assurance of your pardon. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Amen. It's a beautiful thing that although unholy and although God is holy and righteous, that we're able to confess our sins before him and that he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. Praise be to God. I want to draw your attention this time to the screen, um, and we're going to look at question 99 of our Westminster Shorter Catechism. The question reads, What rule has God given for our direction in prayer? And the answer reads, The whole word of God is of use to direct us in prayer. But the special rule of direction is that form of prayer which Christ taught his disciples, commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Next week, we'll look at um, the, what the Lord's Prayer teaches us. Uh, but you can always turn to, of course, Scripture in Matthew 5 and read uh, the Lord's Prayer yourself. You can read its content. We, of course, conclude every Sunday service with the Lord's Prayer and are reminded of this very teaching. Uh, a form of prayer which Christ taught his disciples and we continue to pray together um, as his disciples today. So that is question 99. Before we go into a time of singing together, I'd like to pray for us and then we'll sing. Gracious God, we thank you so much. We thank you for this beautiful gathering of your sons and daughters. We thank you for the faithfulness you constantly demonstrate to us throughout our lives the lives that we live as those who desire to be faithful to you, but many times in our lives we find ourselves unfaithful. Thank you for being such a wonderful father to us, God. Thank you for constantly reminding us of the need to repent and confess our sin before you, and then being reminded of your graciousness to receive us despite our unrighteousness and forgiving us uh, as we confess. Lord God, as we praise you today, as we worship you, as we read from your word and as we lift songs and prayers to you, O oh God, would you be pleased and may this worship be a pleasing aroma to you. We trust in Christ, our mediator, who on our behalf allows this worship to be received by you. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who came and died for us. We believe in him and we trust in him as Savior and Lord, for he is truly our mediator. We thank you so much and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Drives from your seats as we sing together.
welcome you all once again. Thank you for being with us. We're going to continue our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible, please turn it to Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25. It's Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25. If you have a Bible, please keep it open. And uh, we'll definitely be referencing the text as we go throughout or go through the sermon today. But if you remember, we've been going through Mark uh, the fourth chapter of Mark, and we've been observing the parable of the sower. We looked at the explanation of that parable last week. Today we go on to, not another parable, but at least a metaphor here that's given to us, a teaching built on uh, the explanation of the parable of the sower. So verses 21 to 25 is where we're at in Mark 4. It's Jesus' words, the word of God. Allow me to read, and you can follow in your Bible. Mark 4, 21, and he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care of what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Amen. This is the word of God. Brothers and sisters, it's a, it's a beautiful day. We're starting, I think it's officially spring now, and of course today we had the summertime uh, begin, so you lost an hour of sleep, so if you do fall asleep during service, so I may choose to forgive you just this one Sunday. <laughs> um, but it is a wonderful day. It's a pleasure to be with all of you. I'd like to pray before we go into the text and examine our reading of Mark 4, 21 to 25 today. I'd like to begin with a prayer for the Chinese in Angola. It's a group of 54,000 people, uh, only about 0.7% evangelical Christians. So we'd like to pray for them. They're predominantly an atheist, a non-religious group, um, and uh, they're, they're present in Angola, which was a surprise to me uh, to know that there's a contingency of uh, of a group of Chinese people there. So we're praying for them today and praying for their salvation and the reaching of the gospel to these people. I hope to also pray for the text to, uh, of course, um, for the text and the reading of the text and the study of the text and the preaching of it um, for myself to preach faithfully and for yourselves to receive it by faith that the Spirit of God will work in you uh, to understand the truth of today's teaching. And, of course, what's continuously happening in Turkey is uh, saddening. Um, we're seeing, of course, um, a bit of an aftermath of the earthquake, not just in the lives of those who were in the most hard-hit regions, but even as far as, if you know how big Turkey is, it's a very large country. Um, but Istanbul is at the northwestern corner of Turkey, and uh, it's quite far from where the earthquakes hit, but they're starting to feel uh, some of the aftermath of it, which is, just really speaks to the extent of the earthquake itself. Uh, and some homes are starting to crumble, so there's a fear that the city itself will begin to um, see some architectural damage, which could leave some people homeless. But we currently, I actually had a chance to talk with Clay this week, um, and uh, he's continuing to update me on what's going on in his relief work and his relief effort uh, in the regions that were hit, and it's, uh, it's catastrophic seeing the photos um, and just getting the update. So we'd like to continue our prayer uh, for that particular part of the world and for those people as they recover from this. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Gracious God, we thank you for your gathering, or for the gathering of your, God, of your people. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Lord, as we read your text from Mark 4, 
May the Spirit work in us to receive it by faith. And may the power of the, may the, power of the Spirit help us to understand um, and receive these things as truth and uh, that we would understand what you are teaching to us today. Allow it to be truly powerful in working in us to transform us to be more like Christ. Gracious God, would you be with the Chinese of Angola, for they do not know the gospel of Jesus. Would it reach them by means only you know and you've ordained and be with them. This gospel is preached to them. May they come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. Lord, we also pray for Turkey and we pray for uh, the catastrophic damage that that country and its people have endured um, as they continue to uh, try and recover from uh, what was a really devastating earthquake. I, we just hope and pray for um, just uh, a safe recovery and hopefully um, that those especially who've lost loved ones that there would be recovery of heart um, we hope and pray for the church as it continues to extend um, a hand to those in need um, and be a very strong herald and vocal um, voice for the gospel of Jesus to those who need to hear it at this time Lord be with that country and its people both Turkey and Syria we pray all this in Christ's name Amen Today's sermon is entitled, More Will Be Given. As we read in our five verses today, the, the words of our sermon title are just really the words of Christ as it is taught to us in verse 25. Now you might remember, for those of you who grew up in the church, if some of these things I'm about to list are unfamiliar to you, I'll quickly cover them, but you might remember this episode in scripture found in Luke 22, where the disciples began to argue with one another about who among them would be found to be the greatest after Jesus is crowned king. They imagine their rabbi, Jesus, to be, of course, the next political Davidic king of a restored nation of Israel. Their thoughts projected towards being recognized and acclaimed for their faithfulness to Jesus, and their reward ultimately would be stature among other men. What they sought, these disciples, at this time in their following of Jesus, at least in the moment, was earthly gain. You might also remember the men of Philippians 1, who, out of envy and competition, shared the gospel, but with others, uh, shared the gospel with others, but were puffed up with immense pride and selfishness in their hearts. Paul famously applauds the spreading of the gospel, chapter one, but of course, in the following chapters, speaks against their heart condition. Or perhaps this will ring a bell: the manna narrative of Exodus 16, where God gave manna, food from the heavens, to the Israelites amidst their hunger in the wilderness. The only condition for continual provision from God of this food was that the Israelites would only collect enough for that day and that they would leave the rest of it on the ground and await the next day's provision. And as you know, they did not obey and instead took more than they needed out of fear that God would fail to provide on the next day. Finally, we see in the landscape of the Christian religion today many unfortunate sects of Christianity that have developed over time even cults and pseudo-Christian faith groups that proclaim the same name of Jesus, that use the same Bible that you and I read, and yet they come to such different conclusions. I just spent this whole week watching uh, In the Name of God on Netflix. If you watch it, it's just about like Korean cult leaders, and it's like so messed up, and it all really comes down to just sex, money, and power. But um, yeah, like Liz and I were watching that, and I just like... It was just so confusing how they could read the same Bible and I guess through, I don't know, demonic influence that they would just come to such different conclusions about the teachings of Christ, the teachings of God, 
and of who Jesus is, and of course lead people astray, ultimately doing simple things, obviously, with money and their bodies and etc. Um, but this is an interesting thing that you can note. In the Korean, the Korean word for cult is a word called idan. And this term in its original Chinese characters means same beginning, different end. Right? The same origin, different conclusion. The biblical times were not foreign to such things either. Paul would refer to false gospels being preached, for example, in the book of Galatians. One such false gospel we see today in today's world is the prosperity gospel, a demonic gospel that makes Christ and faith in him a means to one's own worldly prosperity, namely money, well, usually money. Christian pastor and hip-hop artist Shai Lin, he, he wrote this song. This is my, one of my all-time favorite Christian rap songs. Uh, it's called False Teachers. And the best part about this song, the S in false teachers is a, is a dollar sign. <laughs> and here's a line from that song. Here's a line from this rap song. He says, Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money is. It's a line from the song. Um, it's on Spotify. You can listen to it. It's really good. Shai Lin, S-H-A-I, Lin. The human heart is so prone to point inwardly towards oneself, whether it be personal gain or fame. There is a promise found in today's text that is tremendous. It's tremendous. It's tremendous in its benefit to the believer's understanding. And I hope that um, it will be made clear to you this day. I have one point today's sermon but it has multiple subpoints, <laughs> so it's slightly deception but you know it is what it is and the singular point i'm going to focus on is in verses 21 to 23 on the lamp that reveals the lamp that reveals in one of the darkest seasons of my life in uh, my first year at university i went through a very difficult time um it, it had to do a lot with like church relationships and um just you know, typical university relationship stuff. Uh, it was very, very difficult. Um, and during this very dark period of my life, I would say a you know, cliched statement would be I hit rock bottom. I sought the Lord in prayer. I'm not a man of prayer. I can't say that I am. Um, even now, I, I have to forcibly get myself to pray. At times out of obligation as a pastor, sometimes I feel I'm just doing it out of obligatory reasons. But uh, back then when I wasn't a pastor, it was even more so the case that prayer was quite absent in my life. But I sought the Lord in prayer in this time. I guess much like David would seek uh, the Lord during his time running away from Saul. And in my prayer, I was drawn to his word. I don't know what, I mean, I know now is the spirit of God, but back then I don't know why, but I was drawn to scripture. And he drew me to his word. And in his word, I came to read 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty-nine. And this verse reads, at least in the NIV, it says, You, O Lord, are my lamp. You turn my darkness into light. In the Old Testament, it is not uncommon to find metaphors of God, depictions of God, if you will, aspects of his nature and character. And in the Old Testament, it's not unusual to see that a lamp at times depicts God, day-to-day -day things that represent aspects of his of his nature and his character, although nothing is a perfect metaphor for God, obviously. But here's James Edwards. He notes this, that the lamp in the Old Testament was used uh, in a lot of Hebrew literature to represent uh, God, the Davidic Messiah to come, and the Torah, the law itself. The function of a lamp is quite simple. I'm sure 
none of you would need to be uh, given this definition, but you know, if you, in case you don't know what a lamp is and you've only grown up on flashlights, here's what a lamp is. It sheds light in the darkness, right? That's all it does. It provides vision in places where things are not really visible. It creates a sense of safety and security to those who have a lamp, light in the darkness. One interesting aspect of a lamp is that it does not shine light on everything, but rather it shines light just enough to see a few steps ahead or just around the vicinity of where you are holding that lamp. It's enough light. This is what I learned during this time as I was reading 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty-nine. My desire was, God, would you just make everything obvious to me? And his response was this verse, and his teaching was this, I will give you enough light to trust in me. For if I were to shed everything to you, you would quickly run away. So he is our lamp, in a sense. He is enough light to trust and enough reason, and he gives us enough reason to continue to hold onto him in our progression forward. That every step is walked with this lamp. This verse, or this quote of Jesus in today's text, can be found in other Gospels of uh, Matthew and Luke, as well as uh, the non-canonical Gospel of Thomas. (laughs) Scholars have noted that the Gospel writers took sayings from Jesus, and there's a debate on this, so I'm just going to give you the debate, from either an external source, some people call this the Q source, or from their own personal sources, from interviews of other people and of disciples of Jesus and apostles, and uh, constructed their gospels on the basis of these, uh, the accumulation of these quotes and this data of, of Jesus' work and his sayings. And they placed these sayings of Jesus, these quotes of Jesus, Uh, inserted into their gospel where they found it best to support the ideas of Christ, who he is and his work that he, and the work that he accomplished, and the stories of Jesus they were trying to convey to their audiences. All of this, of course, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here is such a case where the same quote is used by Mark in this chapter, in this text, in this narrative, whereas it differs in placement and usage in Matthew and Luke. Now, of course, Biblical critics will say, aha, see, discrepancy and inconsistency in Scripture, contradictions of how and when Jesus spoke these things, right? Sort of the modern scientific method of analyzing Scripture, of course, that's a complete negligence of understanding um, how literature and his history particularly was recorded back then. Remember, historical record in these times uh, did not mean what it means today. Today, it means chronological record. What exactly happened in what exact order and what exactly was said, right? And what Mark is doing, and what Matthew and Luke also do, is they're constructing their narratives by giving you thematic representations to teach who Jesus is and what he accomplished. And this is how history was recorded back then, for the purpose of memory as well, because, of course, parchment and writing was very, very expensive, and then, of course, the majority of people just could not read or write. The other aspect of this verse that you should note is the Greek wording. And here's where we're going to get a little technical, but you're going to have to follow along with me. You see, in Matthew and Luke's usage of this particular quote of Jesus, the lamp is very obviously objective in the the analogy, at least in the Greek literature. But in Mark's usage, it has a vagueness, a very faint uh, Greek vagueness. And so in English, the literal translation 
is the same, but it cannot capture that aspect of the Greek. This is where it's like a little bit difficult when we start translating. Where scholars find that Mark makes the lamp the subject of the statement by Jesus. What does this mean? This does not distort the quote, for the meaning is the same, the translation is the same, but the emphasis that Mark is giving, uh, and perhaps the tonality of Christ offered this to the original hearers, is that the lamp came. It's not that the lamp was brought in or brought, but that the lamp itself came. Right? So a more direct translation, and some English translations do write this, would read, the lamp came. Right? That it is not so much an object being moved, although that would work well here too, but that the lamp itself came. Now why is this important? I'm reminded of John chapter 1, verse 9. It reads, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. It is evident here, without a doubt, that the lamp is Christ. But whether he is brought in or came, like brought in by the Father, or came, um, as sent by the Father, as the subject here, this lamp is coming to shed light. That's the accomplishment here. For that is the function of the lamp itself. Note also this, that Mark makes the lamp definite. What do I mean by this? All of you, like, really regret not studying hard in English class now, right? But the lamp is made definite by Mark by placing a definite article in front. This is not just any lamp, but it is a particular lamp. Some translations, again, will write, the lamp came. This lamp is most definitely referring to Jesus himself, who is an acting agent who came into the world to shed light. Now, what is made clear to us is the purpose for which this lamp was brought in and for the reason that it came. And that is, of course, as I just said, to shed light and reveal something to those it interacts with. It is logical that in order for a lamp to fulfill its function, it is not to be kept under any sort of vessel that would cover its light, but rather it is to be placed somewhere where the light can reach and have coverage. This speaks to Christ's supremacy over all things, that nothing can in actuality cover him or be above him in any sense. He cannot be dimmed, if you will. The lamp that is Christ, in other words, cannot be hidden, even if one tried to. But in verse 22, it reads this, that for nothing is hidden, and yet the whole chapter speaks, all of Mark 4, of a certain blindness or hiddenness that some have in terms of knowing who Jesus is and in regards to the kingdom of God. But note, that Mark says that the hiddenness is meant to be, to be revealed, which is true in the end, for nothing will be kept hidden. For on the day of judgment, all will know that Christ is Lord. But in the meantime, to some, this mystery will be revealed. And that's who Jesus speaks of today. To those to whom the mystery has been revealed, to them, all will be made known. It will come to light for them. The hiddenness is in a sense simply a means of disclosure, hidden to those outside, but totally revealed to those in. Edward speaks of embroidery, and I love this imagery. He, says, he speaks of embroidery in this sense. If you've ever seen uh, an embroidered garment or blanket or any sort, you would know that on one side, all you see is this entanglement of threads, mismatched colors and patterns, nothing about it signifying beauty. But when you flip over that embroidery, quickly you realize 
that this is a pattern, a design, a beautiful garment. This is the mystery, in a sense, of the kingdom of God. And I'm reminded again of these cult leaders I've been studying all week, that they could take the same book and make threads out of it. I'd like to conclude our time in the text with the words of Christ in today's text found in verse 24. Take care what you listen to. This is ever more important today in a world that projects so much information and data to you through so many means. The examples I gave in our introduction, the Israelites, the disciples, the people today, we are so prone to wander. We're so prone to seek what we lust after. Jesus quotes in today's text a Jewish parable in the same verse speaking of the standard of measure. It comes from the actual Hebrew saying, in whatever pot you cook, you will be cooked. In other words, God will add to us more based on the measure that we measure with. This is an overly sort of complicated Jewish way of saying that those who are of faith will be given all that faith promises, whereas those without faith will be given all that faithlessness promises. I want to speak to something perhaps of a takeaway for you this week. We tend to seek more than just Jesus, do we not? Even truly faithful Christians, believers of Jesus, followers of Christ, many times Jesus is not enough, is he? We just don't see that he is enough. Brothers and sisters, when you read today's text, what we're told is that those who have been given been given infinitely abundantly. Right? Infinite abundance. Which is obviously nothing compares to that in this world. That what you have gives you infinite access to all that you need. To them even more shall be given is the phrasing of today's text. And you can see how one could distort this text so easily to make that more a variable for something else. Jesus plus money, Jesus plus women, Jesus plus fame, Jesus plus power, Jesus plus whatever you want. But it's really just Jesus and more and more and more of him. It's just more and more and more and more of him because he's more than enough. And you can see that we are to be careful. And if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, to them, the more is not Jesus and something else, but a realization that the prize is Christ. All of him. To those gifted with faith will be given eternity with Christ, a reality of joy now and a joy eternal. The more is not wealth or health or fame or success. Those are things that Paul calls rubbish, trash, throw it away. You need not these things. But the more is infinitely more Christ. Brothers and sisters, Christ is, I remind you, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Holy One of God, who came and died for us, and he rose from the grave. 
the Savior and Lord in whom we place our faith that we may have eternal life in him and through him. And in union with him, can we have death to sin and life everlasting. Just had a wonderful time with our, um, I guess, what are they called? The baptism and confirmation nominees? Or I think that's what they're called. Um, I don't know the technical term. But anyways, um, on Easter Sunday, we're going to have four confirmations and two baptisms, which is praise, praise God for that. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful Sunday. Um, but just going through the gospel today with them, I mean, it really reminded me, right, of the beauty of the gospel and the truth of it. So I hope you are reminded of that truth today. May Christ always be the prize of your life. Praise be to God. Let's take some time to reflect and pray over God's word. rise from our seats to sing in response. i
daily. And may we take what you give and also give back cheerfully, Lord, that we're not unfaithful, but rather faithful stewards of all that you give to us. Gracious God, you are too good to us to allow us such things. God, we honor you um, through all that we are, and we ask that we will always be mindful of the true prize that is Christ. We thank you for his coming and his death, his life, death, and resurrection. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, well, I want to welcome all of you. It's good to see uh, some new faces, I think. Um, hopefully our welcome team can uh, get to know you a little bit more, and I myself as well. I uh, would like to get your names down and just, uh, hear a little bit about you, but welcome to Sheepgate. It's your first time. Uh, thank you for being with us here today. Um, our offerings can be sent two ways, of course, traditional. Uh, if you'd like to give physically, um, don't have a basket here, but you can just prepare an envelope, write your name on it, and you can uh, give into the basket at the other building or to myself, and we'll make sure it gets um, we'll, get, we'll make sure it gets recorded. Or you can give virtually, uh, so you can give uh, to sheepgatefellowship at gmail.com. Um, we are preparing at this time uh, to prepare a small offering. Um, I don't know what small means, but an offering of some sort, a special offering to Turkey, um, and send it over with Clay. He will be visiting us on the last Sunday of April, where he will give us a little bit of a report on how Turkey's been doing over the years, especially during COVID, and then now kind of coming out of that, but then getting hit, hit with an earthquake. So his whole family's going to be here for the weekend. Uh, he'll, be, um, he'll be joining us for, for, I think, like Friday to Tuesday. I'm taking to Niagara on Monday, so if you're, if you're free, you can... They're like, everyone that comes here, we got to take them to Niagara, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, um, if you want to come, that'd be a wonderful thing. He has four beautiful daughters, um, and they're, I'm really excited to see them for the first or second time in Canada, actually. Uh, but it'll be a wonderful chance for you to ask questions as well. Um, so we're hoping to prepare a special offering at that time. He's also looking to expand um, his donor base um, as uh, kind of COVID really hit his family hard. And uh, they're looking to expand the ministry there. So if you can pray for about two months, but whether you'd like to become a monthly supporter for his ministry, he'll be making a formal presentation uh, when he arrives here. And then uh, you can listen to all the details and make an informed decision then, right? But in the meantime, you can pray about it. So just giving you a heads up on that. Um, Please join us for food and fellowship, following service at the other building. Um, Yeah, I think a wonderful lunch is prepared for us again. It's late lunch, but please join us. And then following that, we'll have our confession study. So, um, yeah, please help with the dishwashing, you know, if, you, if it's your turn or you feel a little bit guilty now because I just mentioned it, it's probably your turn. Um, so, anyways, uh, please join us for that. After talking with Clay um, and after discussing it with our uh, adult KM ministry, I think there may be an opportunity for a small contingency of us at the either fall or winter season of this calendar year to maybe go to turkey and uh, our hopes is to go uh, for about a week and a half or so or at most two weeks and uh, do some relief work in the areas that have been hit with the earthquake and work with the local churches there uh, to just help with um, people who are now like really struggling Uh, so there is an opportunity for this i think it's going to be really contingent on how many people are willing to go so if you are thinking about this and you have some time or you're willing to take some vacation days towards this, 
um, yeah, I really invite you to pray about it. Uh, and I'll give you more details um, as it comes. And then when Clay gets here, we'll do like a formal presentation on this. Uh, but after discussing it with him, I think this is an opportunity for us to maybe take this on. I know it'll be difficult for students. You have class. So I do not condone skipping of school, uh, even for the purposes of missions. Uh, but if the Lord wills, the Lord wills, and we must obey. Uh, but anyways, for the rest of us, um, yeah, might be a great opportunity uh, for our church to get involved in this particular way. Um, so we'll see. Um, let's pray about it and see where, the God, where, see where God leads us. As I mentioned earlier, we have baptism and confirmations coming up on August 9th on April. Uh, you might have some questions about Good Friday. We'll have a special Good Friday uh, evening service. Um, so on Friday night, we'll have a special service then, and then an Easter service on Sunday as well. So just keep that in mind. Um, I think it's just only appropriate that the believer gathers together on Good Friday to worship. So please be there. So free up Good Friday. You know, I know it could seem like it's just a day off or whatever, but really dedicate that time. Uh, I'll prepare some material for you to kind of cover in preparation for Good Friday as well as on the day of to reflect on the cross of Christ. Um, so I'll, I'll forward that to you when it's ready. Uh, but yeah, please join us for that service on the, in the evening, probably around like 7 p.m. or so, and, um, and then on Easter Sunday as well. And on that day, we'll have our baptisms and our confirmations. So please uh, feel free to bring a gift or a congratulatory whatever uh, to those who are getting baptized and confirmed. So that's fantastic. Uh, happy birthday, Tanika. Um, this is a book. She's not here. I'm going to give it to Alex to, uh, to give it to Chill, chill. She's here. <laughs> uh, happy birthday. This is a book that does not look like it's written by Sinclair Ferguson. But it's written by Sinclair Ferguson. And it's actually quite, it's quite extraordinary. I actually think that some of you should buy this book. Um, you might read this one. Um, but yeah, it's, just, it's called The Big Book of Questions and Answers About Jesus. And it's a family guide to Jesus' life and ministry. And it basically just covers in super, super simplified and like very visual form um, the gospel and who Jesus is to, to uh, children. So yeah, I think Annika would benefit from having this I, I totally don't know what age group she's teaching, but I mean, you know, I think it'll help. <laughs> so I will give that to Alex to forward to our wonderful sister in Kingston right now. Okay, with that said, uh, let's rise and end off with the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Sorry, just one last announcement. Uh, if you would like to join the softball team for this summer as the weather is clearing up and, of course, that season is coming up, please talk to Andrew Moon or Aaron Yu, and they will include you in. Everyone and anyone is welcome. Thank you, Richard.